t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. It's me, D.B. Spitzer, and uh, this fellow over here. That's that's Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, how the heck is it going? I am well. Nice. I'm 
really glad to hear that. I'm doing pretty well myself. Uh, we just got back from Portland or uh, Rose City Comic Con in Portland, Oregon, Dave, and that was that was yeah, pretty so cool. Yeah, so people actually saw us in yeah. the flesh, we're, and we're... in my case, maybe more flesh than I really need. But they now know that we're not artificial intelligence that just come over your computer. Yep, yep. We are not uh, Wikipedia attached to a voice synthesizer. We 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 are flesh and blood people. <laughs> we are. We are human beings that do human being stuff like walk and breathe air and milk cows. And sit in chairs. Yes. <laughs> we are humans. We love chairs. So, uh, yeah, speaking of standing around and walking around a whole bunch, uh, Rose City Comic Con. I only saw four Deadpools. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking if you count the the Deadpool Woody, I probably saw more. But yeah, there was um, a lot more anime. I think anime is <laughs> the big thing, and, and and I hate to admit it, but uh, I don't know who most of those anime people are. I, you know. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of clueless on anime. I I feel like I don't know. I. I... I, I'm Great not even costumes, gonna. Though. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Everyone had really cool costumes, and I, I sometimes I didn't. I, I was like, wow, that person's dressed really stylishly, and then I'd see someone dressed in the same outfit, and like, oh, it's a character from an anime. I get it. Okay. <laughs> but mine is worse. I'll see somebody. Wow, what what cool clothing? Are they? Is that just how they normally dress? Or yeah. you know, maybe is that? Should I ask for their picture? But is that just how they normally dress? Because it is Portland. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and, and I, I'm sure people were like, "Hey, what's that person cosplaying as?" When they'd see me, it's like, "What, what nautical character is that?" And it's like, "Nope, I just decided to dress as a sea captain." <laughs> although, although you you have that picture of that that Johnny Quest, and I thought he looked that whoever that was that's fighting that person in that Johnny Quest episode oh. or fighting that monster, I thought he looked just like he did. Uh, <laughs> On Friday. That's that's one reason why I specifically picked that Johnny Quest, and uh, not this episode, but sometime down the road, we'll we'll tell you more about that Johnny Quest episode we're talking about. But this episode, we're going to be talking about Black Lotus drug, uh, the 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 the, the uh, black drug of Lang, the the plutonic drug. I, I don't know what what other nicknames does this stuff have. I, those are the only two I know, but um, I know it's. Cut I, I'm with sure something. there's a street name. Yeah, it, it, it's called the the Deep One Scales or some sort of street name. I, I know when it's cut with something else, and this is from Delta Green. When it's cut with something else, it's called reverb, and it makes you kind of like fluctuate through time slightly. And it also is a way to I don't know feed ravers to the hounds of Tinderlos, but you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, the 90s. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what we're going to be talking about. And uh, who are we going to be talking to in the interview this week? So we are talking to author and editor uh, Nick uh, Mateus. Okay. And he is uh, got some new things coming out in November, uh, as well as uh, has some real good, interesting insights sort of on writing and horror so cool. uh, yeah he'll cool. be our interview and i don't know if you guys could hear it but ralph the rooster is really excited about that nice 
In fact, uh, Ralph's been uh, protecting his, his chucks. Uh, you know, um, they, those who maybe missed last episode, uh, chucks are apparently uh, the prodigy of Ralph the rooster and some of our ducks. Uh, but he's been very vocal uh, as a, a new father. tackle first this week dave i believe that we are actually talking about one of my favorite short stories ever all right and that is the robert e howard blackstone now um the blackstone is actually a 90 year or next month it -hmm. will be out for 90 years whoa so keep that in mind that there will be some spoilers Okay. And so I think, um, so Robert E. Howard, of course, was uh, Lovecraft's friend and correspondent. They never met, but he did write a couple, what I would say, true mythos stories. In a lot of ways, most of Howard's stuff could be shoehorned into the Cthulhu mythos, but the Blackstone really, I think, is. And most people agree, one of at least two of his pure mythos stories, that yeah. with the thing on the roof. Yeah. Um, and, and I think most people agree with that. But it is famous for, or, or notable, because it's the first mention of the Arkham Sanitarium. Yeah. The, the, the mad poet Justin Godfrey gets locked up in the uh, Arkham uh, Sanitarium, which, of course, uh, genius comic writer, just uh, Denny O'Neill, would later use uh, Arkham Asylum uh, in Batman. Uh, So um, uh, Howard chose the name Arkham as a tribute to his friend. And from all accounts, Lovecraft was just tickled pink. You know, this sort of white, pale guy got turned pink over it, I guess. But he just was so grateful and so pleased that Howard used uh, uh, Arkham Asylum that he uses it on uh, the thing at the doorstep. Yeah. Uh, so um, another thing that comes out, and I'm not sure if this is the first mention, mm-hmm. but uh, Howard uses a... or the nameless cults which is basically his version of the necronomicon all right and in his story um frederick von Luntz uh is this sort of researcher who goes through joins all these cults and he writes down uh basically what all these cults are doing Mm -hmm. and oh surprise they're real Uh oh and he mentions basically the the Black Rock. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people s- sort of miss what the Black Rock is. So the Black Rock is this sort of, um, it's almost a monolith, 
almost like, and I'm sh I'm sure it didn't influence Arthur C. Clarke, but almost like the monolith from 2001, mm -hmm. um, which um, is just sticking up on the ground uh, in a place uh, which is now hungry. Um, so a lot of people, I think, sort of miss the big whammy at the end of the story. Yeah. Which is that this monolith is actually a steeple. Mm-hmm. And that there's this huge, it's the top of a huge buried temple. Yeah. So we never actually see the temple. But I think a lot of people are reading it, and I've mentioned that, and they go, gee, I didn't get that from reading. I love that story. I didn't get that from reading it. But <sighs> yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think that uh, Howard definitely meant this to be, you know, it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, uh, spoiler warnings for a, a 90 year old story. Yeah. But um, then what happens is uh, Midsummer Night, you, you have dreams. And they have Justin Godfrey basically goes and has dreams of the child, the, the sort of pre-civilization nomadic people mm -hmm. that would actually sacrifice children and he, he basically was sort of transported in time in this dream and saw it real mm -hmm. and it kind of it drove him crazy yeah yeah no no i i love the 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 part about uh uh scimitars made of uh i, I don't know it was it like scimitars made of damascus steel blessed uh blessed by the prophet muhammad or <laughs> something like that is used to kill the uh, uh, the, the, the the creature that, that lives in the temple. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that, that like Sathagwa Golgoroth looking thing. No, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, Howard was, Howard was very smart. Yeah. He, he was a very smart person. And for somebody who lived in Podunk, Texas, he was well-traveled mm -hmm. in the fact that he traveled Texas, Oklahoma, Mexico. But in a lot of ways, he was limited. Um, and he was limited to um, libraries. Yeah. And so he has a very sort of rudimental view of other religions. But in this particular case, he actually, I think, does rather good, well, description of Islam. Yeah. And, and in fact, this was, I read this when I was sophomore in college. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was the first time, that, I mean, I knew that, 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 that Islam had gone into Europe. Yeah. But I didn't realize that it had penetrated. This is the first time I'd realized that it had uh, penetrated all the way into um to Hungary. Gotcha. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So, so his history is is at least kind of accurate here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I'm, you know, I said that it was a uh, a monolith. It's actually sort of an octagonal uh, uh, shape. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that stands out from the from the ground. Yeah, I knew it was multi sided, but I couldn't remember if it was like five or seven or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was eight. Okay. Cool. All right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, I, 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 this is, I would put one of my favorite Howard stories and I, I love Howard. Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely, 
one of my favorite non-Lovecraft uh, mythos stories. In fact, I put it up there just part of one of my favorite mythos stories. Yeah. Um, all about. Yeah. And no. it's, I think, very influenced by Lovecraft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, in 30, 30, 31, that was probably the height of Lovecraft and Howard's friendship and communication. And he pulls something that that Lovecraft does mm-hmm. quite often. He doesn't name his narrator. Yeah. Is this nameless? So, you know, it could be it could be Ralph the Rooster. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Ralph the Rooster. Yeah. Uh, but it it could be Randolph Carter. Yeah. It could be uh you know uh Steve Harrison. It could have been any of the Howard Lovecraft characters, or it could be a person that's in no other stories. Yeah. We don't know. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think it's like, um, you know, Lovecraft writes down who is this nameless narrator in uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth. Mm-hmm. But to the best of my knowledge, and I haven't studied it as much as some people out there, I don't think Howard ever names who the author is. Yeah. I personally like to, uh, in my own head canon, I like to pretend that it is Randolph Carter, and this is right before he went off to Big Cypress Swamps. This is like uh, kind of the thing that made him go, and (laughs) go back to America and hang out with some guy who's more of a, I don't know, kind of an antiquarian hoarder electrician. (laughs) Uh, So honestly, um, I honestly, in my head canon... Uh Besides it being <laughs> Ralph the Rooster, thank you very much. Uh, I see a lot of this uh-huh. as Randolph Carter if it's not named. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it's not named or if the, the character doesn't die yeah. or even – I guess you could call it the evil clergyman where his face changes because we know Carter's face changes again at another time. Yeah. I pretty much tie up. Um, though – Here's the very, there's a difference between a Howard and a a Lovecraft hero. Um, and so the heroes of, and this can definitely be seen, and I know that's not what we're talking about, mm-hmm. but a little bit tangent. Are you familiar, have you read um, Challenge from Beyond? Yes, yes. So that, for those who aren't, that was a round-robin story with, you know, I believe there were four different writers where everybody writes a chapter. Yep. And Lovecraft wrote this chapter, and he has this very sort of Lovecraftian hero that's like, oh, I'm accepting, I'm smart, but I'm accepting myself, and I'm going to, that the universe is bigger than me, and I'm going to just surrender because there's nothing I can do. Yes. Then Howard gets his chapter. He says, wait a minute. What was I thinking? I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to go ahead and beat up all these aliens because I'm a human, darn it. And I'm, and I'm a Texan or I don't Humans know are the best. Texan, but... And I'm going to be yeah, God Emperor to... Worm. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's kind of in, that's kind of in, you know, 
it's kind of is the difference between a Lovecraftian and a Howardian hero. Yeah. So, so maybe, and I'm going to throw this out. This is all head canning. You know, your sure, mileage, Sherry. Randolph Carter definitely is Lovecraft. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's his author avatar. Mm-hmm. And 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 we know, um, you know, and Howard kind of denied it, but there's a lot of Howard in Conan. Sure. Uh, I've you know on. Uh, a while back, a year ago, on Monster Kid Radio, you know, I said, you know, I thought that that Sheriff, uh, you know, Justin Kirby, when I first read it, I knew that's Howard. Howard's describing himself, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the guns and the horse, you know, <laughs> and, and the size, and the uh-huh. color of the hair, that. So, what if, what if this adventurer is Howard? What I like if that. it's him? Yeah, you know, maybe you know. See, so the same thing. And I'm not sure. I'm not as familiar. I like it, but I don't like it as much. But these other, his other uh, story, um, which is definitely um, mythos, is the thing on uh, thing on the roof. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking that the thing on the roof, they don't name the narrator either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I got the idea that um, it's the same guy. Yeah, let's call him Two Gun Bob. <laughs> yeah, so you know, may, may, maybe maybe this is, um, yeah, maybe maybe it's it's Robert E. Howard himself telling yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I like that idea. I like that idea as much as I like the idea of like various Lovecraft stories where the unnamed narrator is this fancy boy who faints and everything's so undescribable, but. Uh, <laughs> Robert E. Howard's undescribable narrator is this guy who's going to get some stuff done, is not afraid of stuff, and, you know, doesn't necessarily believe in things, but, you know, he's he's got some stuff that he wants to do, and he's, he's going to go to that stone, and he's going to sleep next to it at midnight, no matter what some superstitious locals say, because he's two-gun Bob Dern Gurnet. But something, something, Texas pistols. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, no. I'm I'm sure Clark Ashton Smith had some sort of unnamed narrator who just wanted to hang out at his place and hang out with his parents and uh, keep his house from uh, catching on fire because of all of the orchard fires. I don't know. That's Clark Ashton Smith knowledge I've got floating around in my head right now. I don't know. I don't know if Clark Ashton yeah, Smith I, had I've a... always figured that, that some of the wizards were actually uh, Clark, that Clark Ashton Smith wrote about were, were, were him. Yeah, yeah. I, I could imagine Clark Ashton Smith putting himself into it, latching a chah, being like, I'm busy doing stuff. Just walk around me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Blackstone, that's some pretty cool stuff. I like it. Anything else and we want to? It is, I think, yeah. also one of the best examples um, of of Howard's writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I think it's as an excellent um, example of Howard's writing, and I would recommend it. I mean, in a lot of, in the same way, he he kind of gets the same. He pulls very much Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft, you know, there's this coincidence 
that hey you know when uh um when uh oh the the protagonist on the uh uh haunter in the darkness mm -hmm. you know when he's broken into this church for 70 years and he finds the books there yeah that kind so in this case you know it, it's not 70 years it's several hundred years mm, yeah yeah uh so so that but that's again that's such a a lovecraftian trope that this item was saved for this person to find sure yeah and, and you kind of think of it if you think of it yeah nobody's found this um before before but it's almost like it's destined for this person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah pretty crazy stuff but that's pretty much what i have on the blackstone all right yeah no no it's a great story it's a great concept i love the whole kind of i don't know this is just the peak of it um i remember reading it and I didn't read it until years and years later than I thought. I thought I had read it, but I was thinking of a different Robert E. Howard story that had the word black in it. And I, I was like thinking, oh yeah, no, that's a really good Conan story. I love that Conan story. I think I was thinking the black sails, or I can't remember which one I was thinking. And then I read it and I'm like, oh wow, that's like the temple in the end of from dusk till dawn that it's like it's this ancient aztec temple that you know is on the side you know the, the back reveals that the the cd bar that everyone was fighting vampires in spoiler alert you zoom back and it's this ancient it's it's just the very tip of an ancient ancient temple and it's like whoa aztec vampires awesome but <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but absolutely. And, and you know, I would not uh, that, you know, Robert Rodriguez mm -hmm. and Tarantino, mm -hmm. I'm sure read Robert E. Howard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Blackstone kind of trope is so cool. And I feel like Lovecraft did it in Rats in the Walls with the, uh, you know, the, the as you walk down... Uh, the inside of the abbey you can see the architecture change all the way down to like roman and stuff like that and I, I i don't know who came up with it first but i think howard did it better i mean granted some people yeah. don't always realize that the black stone is a spire but damn it it's 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 a cool cool thing if you catch it and seeing it done visually like in from dusk till dawn it just looks cool when you realize whoa this problem that these heroes not only is it just the tip of the iceberg but this is older than a lot of things it's like from dusk till dawn i feel like almost gets into like kind of like almost like cosmic horror grounds it's not quite deep time but damn it's an ancient evil exactly exactly all right well everyone up next we've got an interview with who's that dave so it is Nick Mateus. Yes. And he is a writer and an editor. Cool, 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 cool. Well, we'll hear more about that in just a moment. 
And then after that, we're going to do some D&D on D&D, where Dave and I are going to talk about the Black Lotus drug and how to use it in your campaign, whether it be Dungeons and Dragons, some kind of sand and so, uh, sandal and sword kind of thing, sword and sorcery kind of stuff. Who knows? F20, D20, Call of Cthulhu. I don't know. Maybe you could throw it into Cyberpunk if you really wanted to. We'll figure that out in just a few moments. Hi, I'm Rob Poynton from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Oh, Larry. Fine, fine student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design, not graphic design, graphic novels. For you, things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGPTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta 8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta 8. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at. Uh, what's what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta 8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta 8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? 
Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos. They've got drums. They've got amplifiers. They've got guitars. They've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner and check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. And uh, I'm very excited about the, the interview section. So we have Nick Mamatas. And he is a, a writer, and he's uh, volunteered to, to be on the show today. Uh, Nick, could you maybe uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Nick Mamadas. I'm an author and editor. I've written and edited a number of Lovecraftian things, probably most famously either Move Underground, which was my first novel and has recently been re-released, which is uh, a mashup of Lovecraft and Jack Kerouac's novels, such as Big Sur and On the Road. Okay. That would- and I was doing that in 2004 before the whole mashup phase came, so I kind of proposed that. And uh, mm-hmm. most recently, last last year, I released Wonder and Glory Forever, which is an awe-inspiring Lovecraftian fiction, an anthology of uh, relatively recent, for the most part, reprints of fiction uh, in the Lovecraftian mode that looks more toward the sublime and the awe-inspiring as opposed to uh, the dreadful or the slightly humorous. Oh, so we what, a, what, a, what an interesting combination there. Yeah. Well, it's sort of implicit inside Lovecraftian stuff, but it's not really explored as much. But we have authors like Michael Sisko, Molly Tanz, or Victor Laval's in there, uh, Olivia Llewellyn, uh, a big crowd, all-star, an all-star crowd in Wonder and Glory Forever. So I was very happy to get that book out. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And uh, you've got something coming out in November, don't you? That's right. In fact, that is why I volunteered for this podcast. My next novel, which is a, a kind of a fantasy thriller, um, is called The Second Shooter, and it deals with conspiracy theories, uh, mass shooting events, and uh, the perhaps supernatural underpinnings of uh, this sort of thing. You had me at uh, supernatural un- underpinnings and conspiracy theories, two That's of right. my favorite sentences. Uh, is that something that you could uh, uh, share with a little bit, or I know it's coming out in November, correct? Right, it's coming up from November from Solaris Books, which publishes science fiction and fantasy. It's not itself Lovecraftian, but I had the idea. I've always been interested in mass shooting events and conspiracy theories. Although I will say that uh, recent political events have kind of overshadowed all of this. 
So this QAnon and stuff. I had started writing the book in 2016, and I had to put it away for a few reasons. Other books came up, uh, career changes, that sort of thing. Sure. And I got it off last year, right before the plague hit. And Polaris uh, bought the, the partial, like they bought a partial magic of the first 25,000 words or so. And then I had a second and third act lined out that I could not write anymore. I had to change it utterly. It would give too much credence, the sort of things that uh, QAnon is saying. And yeah. I wouldn't. I didn't want to highlight them in, in a certain way. And also, it would have been a little cliche because now it's not an exciting speculative fantasy thriller. It's almost realism. Yeah. So how to make it crazier and weirder and uh, more supernatural, and and uh, and explore different things. And of course, in the in between 2016 and 2020, when I started writing it again, other things happened too, like uh, the Parkland shooting, which I think changed the conversation in the United States about gun control to a certain extent when we had these young activists who survived the shooting coming up. So I kind of riff on that a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's just very challenging to write fantasy and science fiction and thrillers these days because uh, current events just rushed ahead of us, rushed ahead of the public schedule. So it was a fun challenge, and I'm looking forward to it finally coming out. Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I know sometimes it's like, I think, how could I write anything more horrific than what I see in the news sometimes? Absolutely. But but I'm excited about it. And uh, of my listeners, come November, where would they be able to order that from? Anywhere. It's a pretty big publisher. I used to work at a bookstore here in California called Books, Inc. And one mm-hmm. thing I like to do is send people to Books, Inc. Because I will not just sell you the book. I will go to that store in the back and sign the book and inscribe it to you and ship it to you personally. So you can support an independent bookstore and Bookstink. That's Bookstink.net, and I've got like a little affiliate link I can send you later. Yeah, and no, absolutely. Go copy, ahead. We'll put that get not only in the show notes now, but in come November too. Fantastic, and it'll be. Uh, I am vaccinated. I don't cough. I wear a mask, so there'll be no germs on the book or no extra germs on the book. So much safer than buying it via Amazon. Though, so of course, if you have your local independent bookstore, always a good idea to walk down there or order from them as well. But it'll be widely available. The, the, those in the, the Portland Oleander area, we have uh, Powell's. Oh, Powell's is a beautiful, wonderful bookstore. Yes. Yeah. First place when I, well, second place right after the headquarters for Dark Horse Comics that I came, went to after I moved to Oregon was Powell's. Nice. So uh, we're kind of discussing what we want to talk today, and I kind of steered this right. I'm really excited about because I love this subject. Lovecraft and science fiction. So um, what are maybe some of your thoughts about uh, Lovecraft and science fiction? I guess I always approached uh, Lovecraft as a science fiction writer as opposed to a fantasist or horror writer. Um, For a few reasons, I think these are sort of well-known at this point. But uh, I feel like the the old ones are extra-dimensional beings. They're not really supernatural in a way that, say, the devil is supernatural or, or angels are supernatural or vampires. They've got their own agenda. And our understanding of them is just limited in the way that our understanding of the universe is limited. And, of course, Lovecraft was well-read in science. He, uh, kind of a, he was an astronomy buff. He didn't have the math to become a scientist. Yeah. He'd kind of crack up uh, in high school. I guess when he had calculus or something, and that even comes up in like Dreams of the Witch House, right? It's like don't, don't yeah. do that higher math too much; you'll go crazy. It's like auto fiction all of a sudden. Not, not, uh, 
But he wrote about plate tectonics when that was a new theory. He wrote about air conditioning when that was new. Um, Cthulhu is temporarily defeated by a steamship, so it's like the new world, the new technological world of mass culture, at least temporarily defeating or forestalling the uh, the end of the world and uh, the primitive understanding of, of these creatures. So it always seemed like science fiction to me more than horror. I'll also say that um, perhaps like many readers who enjoy reading horror fiction, I'm not actually scared by it for the most part. You might get a, a, a frisson, a shiver, a chill, but I never go, oh, oh, you know, when I'm reading a story because I'm looking at words on a page and even if I'm visualizing it, my impulse is to skim or to focus or do something else when it's too rough. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like the aesthetic experience of horror and ghost stories and things like that, but I don't find them frightening in the way that a car coming toward me is frightening. It doesn't doesn't necessarily trigger that fight or fri- uh, flight or fright. Exactly, right. So I kind of, in ways, I was ahead of the curve because I was into Lovecraft when none of my friends were, when I was 13 years old. And so that was a good thing, but yeah. it also means that I was influenced by some things that maybe I disagree with now. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so, the, so there was two copies of... Uh, the uh, oh, Arkham House uh, books at the local public library. So every six months I would check out one of them. And I remember at a local bookstore, they were like discounting basically what we call a coffee book. It was like the history of science fiction. And, mm-hmm. you know, I paid my $2 and I, I got this book that has like, you know, talks about uh, Planet of the Apes and Star Wars. And I was really excited because there was a little page that was dedicated to Lovecraft. And this was when I wasn't finding anything else about Lovecraft. And it says right there, Lovecraft is not science fiction. And I'm 14 years old and I'm sort of accepting this as doctrine. It says with the exception, it said Lovecraft only wrote one science fiction story. And that was the color out of space. What? No way. What about, uh, I mean, he published an astounding science fiction. He was, you know, uh, regarded as science fiction, at least in part, even then. But of course, what is, I mean, the, if you go to any science fiction convention or read any book about science fiction, people are overwhelmed. They're really preoccupied with this idea of a taxonomy of what is science fiction? What is fantasy? What is science fantasy? What is something horrific? And, uh, and, and maybe more so in the 80s and the late 70s than they are now. I'd hope so, because I remember when I was going to conventions more frequently, and I was, I'd always get on these panels, I'd always say in the green room beforehand, let's not destroy the panel by saying, is this science fiction or fantasy? Please, let us not introduce that question. And inevitably, one of the panels would be like, well, it's an interesting question. Is this science fiction or fantasy? About whether it's about Lovecraft or about cyberpunk or about uh, Star Wars. And of course, inevitably, we'd go off the rail. Because any taxonomical question boils down to this, are you a lump or a splitter? Like the observer is the one who makes the decision. Because there's no true essence to anything. We just make our decisions. So we, when we have the fossil record, we say, oh, these are the same species, they're different species. We don't know, because there's nothing to know. We either are lumpers or splitters. And we're lumpers and splitters in taxonomies of literature, too. Uh, of course, absolutely. once you get a publishing deal, you can say, oh, well, I'm going to make it definitive by, by putting it in print. And that's, that sounds like your poor experience with that coffee table, but. 
to me. And basically, I think was. And but and and I was, I was 14, and I had no other friends that were into Lovecraft. So yeah. it, it took me a while to outgrow that. But okay. at the same part, probably, and and everybody has their own opinions. But yeah. I think the the greatest fantasy story ever written, mm-hmm. the Martian Chronicles. Sure, sure. Bradbury said straight, "This is this isn't science fiction. This is fantasy." That's right. There's very little science involved. That's for sure. As far as that, exactly. And, and I love it. And I, lo- I, I love it. And so a lot of it is what do what do you you know you as you the audience you know you you the individual like. Yeah. But um, what would you say were some of his most science fiction stories? Well, uh, transparently, Whisper in Darkness, which has an alien invasion and technology, and uh, the unknown, the Miko, which are you know kind of my favorite little element of uh, of Lovecraft, uh, as opposed to Cthulhu and things like that. And just his sensibility was was scientific, but he was a materialist, and so this is why uh, the themes of the stories are kind of defeatist and futile, but sometimes sublime. Like the universe is so huge, and so we we don't mean anything, David. Right, we're just gonna wear little, we're little flecks of space and, and flesh in a notion of time. So that's we're, we're, we're not even so important for us great. for the universe to hate us. It just it's not our fault that we can't breathe. Uh, the universe's fault we can't breathe in a, a vacuum. That's right. You know we have a small brain. The universe is big, and so we we struggle with it. And that can be horrific, and that can be fantastical. It can be the marvelous. It can be the sublime. It can be all of these things. And so he manipulates Lovecraft manipulates these things. For this understanding that we all have to for dramatic effect, and that Absolutely. feels like science fiction more than say fantasy, where there's often a more obvious divine order. Uh, Even absolutely. if it's uh, not about heroes and a chosen one, if there's still a divine order. There is a often like a white side, a, a, a light side, or a good side, or a dark side, and a bad side, or an attempt to achieve balance, or this idea of history being cyclical. You know, Robert Howard had this idea of cyclical history through barbarism, civilization, and yeah. magic and brawn. Right? That's like the uh, science and physicality, or 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 technology and ingenuity. You know, working back and forth, also in cycles. So he was different than Lovecraft in that way. But Lovecraft always felt like science fiction because of the choice that he made as an author. And when I'm writing Lovecraftian fiction, I tend to make Broadly similar choices, and that I'm interested in that kind of theme, that kind of narrative, and less interested in oh, what about magic spells? What about dark cults? Although one of my favorite cult books uh, or Lovecraftian books about a cult is um, *Irrational Fears* by William Browning Spencer, where he turns the twelve steps, *Occult mm. Synonymous*, into uh, a Cthulhuoid cult, okay. and that's contemporary and 20th century and based on trial and error and I'm not I'm not anti AA, don't get me wrong. But it's, it's fun and interesting and compelling to see an AA style or an AA competitor really. Yeah, be a crappy in fiction, right, Ralph Booster? I him? think Ralph would agree on you on that. And the other thing is if twenty twenty has taught us anything, anything can be taken to cult levels. That's right. Politics, television, your favorite coffee, whatever it can be taken to cultish levels. Absolutely. So I'm going to name one of my, and this is kind of a deep dive, uh, but one of my favorite Lovecraft stories, which is kind of different almost from 
all the other ones, I think, is the evil clergyman. Hmm. Where this guy is basically a parapsychologist, and he's going in with science, and he's got he's trying to basically drive off the the psychic residue. That's my words, not Lovecraft's, of the evil clergyman by using ultraviolet lights. He's almost it's almost a serious Ghostbusters. Sure. Where it's a science versus the supernatural. Um. And at the end, spoiler. Okay, I'm spoiling a, a what uh, a 96 year old story, so you may want to turn down your your volume. He survives, but the, he he all of a sudden now looks like the evil clergyman, including his, the guy's glasses have mysteriously appeared on his face. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Maybe as a writer, this sort of earthly science versus the occult. I think it's very common inside. Science fiction and fantasy and horror too. When you look at something like Dracula, for example, the new, the new ways of dealing with a menace, a gun, a knife, a big Bowie knife doesn't really work. You have to go to Van Helsing in the old way. But at the same time, people working together, uh, people crossing uh, class boundaries, and they do use technology and old wisdom, the old ways combined to defeat Dracula finally, or uh, William Hope Hodgson's Karnacki stories are one of my favorites, the weird, proto-weird fiction, proto-science fiction. Karnacki's detective, yes. he's got electric pen But about a, a quarter of the stories are, oh, actually, turns out wasn't supernatural. Just some guys messing around. You know, no, he, you're absolutely right, especially, you know, Dracula really was this science versus the occult story at its heart. Yeah. You know, they're, they're using blood transfusions to, you know, save the victims. Uh, great, great point there. And a lot of fantasy deals with science. And if you look at a wizard inside of a fantasy novel, what a wizard often is is a combination of cell phone and cannon. Yeah. Like a, he's a weapon of mass destruction, and he's the the operations of a operational framework of a of a military, because he can communicate from distances. He can know strain. He can target fog. But he's kind of technological. Magic, as it's kind of understood, like historically, like like occult things, like a chromatic magic and, and all that stuff, is very different. Right? It's about personal development and weird experiences and enlightenment and all sorts of nutty stuff. But nobody, nobody goes to school or reads these old books and says, I'm going to throw a fireball. They might say, I'm going to meet a spirit. I'll meet a devil. I'll meet whatever, you know, this is four fifty four. I'll meet. That'll, that'll change me in some way. Well, magic in, in, in even in fantasy isn't so much like religion or like the occult or like an underground. It is more like a contract analogy. And if you ever play role playing games, like the first thing people uh, come one up or with, one or two, like Dungeons and Dragons or something, it's like, well, how can we talk from across the uh, from across the dungeon? They want a cell phone. Yeah. Why do we always need? We want a healer. We want we want first aid. Even you think you know I, that's sort of how I and how I envision probably not how, how John D looked at magic. I think he sure. looked at it from a very sort of at the time, scientific per- perspective. That's right. And same with Isaac Newton, who uh, had a lot of alchemical experiments that he considered as important as his uh, thoughts and insights into physics and calculus. And even today we, you know, we, uh, 
the 20th and 21st centuries have brought in a kind of more uh, thorough atheism and more thorough materialism, but there's still yeah. plenty of scientists who are believing God and believe in these things, and uh, it's fine, but that conflict will always be there. It's like two neighbors. Neither, neither science nor religion or this idea of the numinous, which we get from our subconsciousness, from our dreams, from our little secret fears, is never going to go away. As long as we have a brain when we're awake and a second brain when we're asleep that takes over, it'll, it'll never vanish. It'll Absolutely. Never that's what these stories are about. We're trying to look it at as authors and as readers, I think. So, so what are maybe some of your favorite Lovecraftian influence science fiction? Hmm. I like the first few Charlie Strauss laundry novels. Oh, absolutely. I thought those were really good. I think as the series went on, it got a little broke and, uh, a little, little, little too on the nose, a little too much about bureaucracy and things like that. I think often when uh, when magic is dealt with in the contemporary bureaucracy, like uh, oh, what, what if what if heaven had all the paperwork, or or what if the Grim Reaper was like a plumber coming to your house? Then it kind of gets a little silly for me. But the first few I thought were great. Um, Je- Je- I love Jennifer Morg. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the first few were pretty good. And uh, in Wonder and Glory Forever, we have a bunch that are that are actually just, again, part of my own uh, impulse was in finding the sublime in Lovecraftian stories. They tended to be more science fictional than fantastical. Mm-hmm. So we have things like uh, Laird Barron stuff, Molly Tandra stuff, Olivia Llewellyn stuff, all these sort of ultra-contemporary writers you're working on this right now in this idiom. <laughs> who aren't looking so much for mood pieces or atmospheric pieces, but although of course there's mood and atmosphere in them, but they're looking for um, a certain kind of structure and certain kinds of themes that propel an action forward as we're trying to solve some problem that is unsolvable or dealing with some environment that is impassable. It's sort of like, it's sort of like a, the contemporary world, even if it's in the far future or uh, when civilizations collapse or a million years from now, or even kind of just now. And I think Lovecraft is always like that. Lovecraft doesn't feel to me like a fairy tale, which is what, what, what like true fantasy is. When it's a fairy tale, it doesn't have to make sense, but it makes poetic sense. Lovecraft always, in his way, makes sense on a uh, structural level. That it, it, it's reality ensues. Exactly, yeah. You find the real reality. So it's not so much radically different than the reality we thought we knew. It doesn't change. It, the universe doesn't dissolve into some kind of nirvana. It doesn't dissolve into some kind of fairyland where we can't possibly understand what's going on. But it's also bright and charming. It, it feels like the world in the end. I mean, that's part of why I wrote Move Underground. You know, what did, what did William S. Burroughs, the character Move Underground, say? One day you're going to find what's going to be at the end of your fork in the Naked Lunch. And Lovecraft is like that, too. He's like, what's, gonna, what's, what's really out there? Something gross and wiggling. Oh, whistling squid at the end of the universe, but it's still a squid, and it's still whistling, and it's not the uncreated energies of God. It's not a, a magical land. It's something that feels more real, and that's why I think he is. That's part of why he's still being talked about a hundred years later, and many of contemporaries in weird tales are not at all. And, and that reality makes it even more scary sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. 
like I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not frightened when I read Lovecraft stories, like in that moment, but his, but his themes are frightening to contemplate after the fact. No, absolutely. It, it's, yeah, the, you think about, that Lovecraft gets you to think about how uncaring the universe is. That's exactly. the real scary. That's the shiver down. And you don't feel it necessarily when you put the book down, but when you try to go to sleep that night. That's right. Or when you have some bad news or some good news or you see a hurricane coming. Like, oh, doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter how many COVID patients are in those hospitals in New Orleans. Can't move them. Yeah. And the hurricane's coming. Nothing to do. No clever solution to this. Can't pray it down to a level two hurricane as people are making And <clears throat> we're up against limits of resources and limits of our own fucking sensibility. Where had we you know, handled this virus a little better, we wouldn't be in this situation. <clears throat> but nonetheless, here we are. Well, I've thank had, you I, very I, much. I, we're about running out of time, but I have really enjoyed talking to you because it got my mind thinking on a lot of things. And I would really like to maybe see if we can book you on again, maybe closer uh, to when Second Shooter comes out. Sure. That'd be fantastic. Thanks so much. Anything, though, you'd like to, to share with our audience or any maybe other ideas that you just uh, coming to you? Hmm. Actually, no. So let's cut this last part out. <laughs> okay. Or, or we, we'll just say we will save that for for come November. All right. Well, thank you again, and we'll put some notes in the uh, uh, the show notes. Uh, but uh, if again, you could just remind us of what is out and what is about to come out with you. What we have out now um, that we're looking, that we are pretty interested in is Wonder and Glory Forever, an anthology of Lovecraftian fiction. Um, my novel with Brian Keene, the famous horror writer, The Damned Highway, which is Hunter S. Thompson meets Lovecraft in the uh, the 1972 presidential election, speaking of politics and the uh, current world, is out again. And fear, fear, fear and loathing in Arkham? Pretty much, yeah. You know, the, you, you go to uh, all the different uh, states that have their, you know, either their, uh, their primary election or their caucuses on a certain day. Well, our Hunter S. Thompson S. character made the wrong term, ended up in Arkham on voting day. And hilarity and other things ensue so we have that that's out now again uh and coming in november not love parenting but i hope fun is the second shooter and i'm happy to send you a link to all of those okay we will definitely post it so thank you again and it's been a wonderful interview all right thanks so much Do you like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. The Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostess, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today. Hey 
everyone, it's me, DB, and next to me, on to my right, still Farmer Dave. Dave, how was that break for you? It, well, <laughs> it was a better break for Ralph the Rooster, apparently, who yeah. is very, very noisy. I don't know if you guys can hear him, oh, but sure. he is really sort of sowing his oats today. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, no, no, things over in the graveyard are uh, pretty chill. I mean... Um, not really much has been going on around here. You want Ralph? I'll send Ralph over there. He'll, he will, uh, he will, uh, make, th he will heat things up for you. Okay. Yeah, no, send him this way. We'll find out how that goes. Uh, <laughs> uh, up next, I mean, right now we've got D&D &D on D&D &D, and we are talking about the Black Lotus drug. Uh, first brought to our attention in oh man uh what what robert e howard story was that first brought up in i believe it was the slithering shadow okay all right all right and it's some sort of uh is it a serpent man serpent person kind of uh drug there or so i'm not sure on that so yeah. it sort of comes through um lynn carter um would uh, carry it in, in the dreams of the Black Lotus. Yeah. Uh, and I had, at least, I don't know about originally, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how it's, but uh, Robert M. Price is going to tie it with the Chocho. Yeah. Uh, now, Chocho were an uh, August Derelith creation, mm -hmm. so I'm not sure if, if Robert and Price, when he does that, if he's retconning it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or if there was a tie at the time, yeah. Um, so um, uh, uh, Robert and Price, uh, in the I want to say in the seventies, wrote a book or a short story called "The Dope War of the Black Tong," mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he combines. Uh, a Lynn Carter character, uh, Anton Zarnak, mm -hmm. and he's sort of a supernatural uh, detective, and then um, a uh, Robert E. Howard character, um, oh, uh, I believe it's Sam Harrison, uh, um, who uh, and basically combines the two in a story and this is, you know, during the 70s, mm -hmm. um, this is, uh, you know, Pop Popeye Doyle, uh, the um, French Connection period. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, drug movies, urban noir drug movies are going to be all the thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sam Harrison. Okay. Or uh, Steve Harrison, excuse me. Okay. Which is... Uh, Carter, or no, excuse me, Howard sort of detective. And it's less known. There is a book out there. Mm -hmm. Ralph the Rooster loves him. Uh -huh. um, but there is a book out there uh, where it has all the, the Steve Harrison stories collected. Okay. But like if you go into like Wikipedia and look up the Steve Harrison, all the stories are in red. Hmm. So they're all mentioned, but nobody's gone and made a a um, an article about that, and so it combines uh, basically these two Lynn Carter and Robert E. Howard's, uh, you know, detectives mm -hmm. 
that are basically caught in the middle of a um, a drug war. Okay. And, and that's something definitely, if you wanted to do some sort of supernatural detective. Sure. And it can even be a D&D setting. You know, um, that's one of the things that at first, you know, in one of the Conan stories, he's dealing with a detective. And, and at the beginning when I'm reading is there's no detectives in, well, who knows whether it was in the Hyperion Age. But yeah. There are no detectives in the Middle Ages. But by the end of the story, I'm going, wow. I could do a middle-aged detective story. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, what, 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 my classic uh, go-to for, like, saying medieval detective stories or dark-age detective stories is Name of the Rose with Sean Connery and Christian Name Slater. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 an amazing uh, detective story. I mean, churches, if you have a church organization, you have some sort of people out there looking for heretics and blasphemers and people who mean to do the church and the church's... Uh, flock harm i mean that's that's a great way or you just have like someone in the city who is paid to solve problems you have like city officials who you know i mean there's there's you have adventurers who go town to town solving problems i mean you know you just there's there's all kinds of cool stuff that you could do to have detectives and then have uh vice wars drug wars um you could do stuff with gangs I, I personally, uh, how I want to use and I like to use the uh, the Black Lotus drug is it's something that's put into uh, braziers in like temples and cults and stuff like that. Kind of going with the church thing, but more of like going with like this is this is not a benevolent organization. This is this is a cult of Sathagwa. This is a cult of Alachnacha. This is a cult of uh, uh, as a thought, this is this is not a good group. This is this is this is a bunch of yig worshippers, y'all. Um, and they're putting the black lotuses into the braziers, which makes everyone very, very, very susceptible to su- suggestion. But also, there's stuff with time dilation going around them, maybe, or maybe there's stuff going on with how they can see how they don't need a Tillinghast resonator to see what's going on around them in a fourth plane. I mean, the black lotus drug. I feel like you can do a lot of stuff with it. I generally tend to use it as kind of like a, you grind it up into a powder, you blow it into someone's face, and then they're your zombie slave until, you know, someone splashes water in their face and you have to slap the barbarian to, like, make him stop killing people, you know. That kind of stuff is, I think, a great way to use Black Lotus. Um, any other stuff that you've got going on, Dave, for that well, kind of Well, I sort of uh, kind of associate it with the... Um, the plutonic drug mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and time traveling. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, that and, is. And I think you know. Again, I mean, and so this might be an interesting way. All of a sudden, you know, your your characters are in a room full of gas, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they they wake up and you know they're in Los Angeles or you know or, or earlier time or sure. even you know Roman time or something or. Or in the far future, um, I, I think again, and and I probably play more non-fantasy games mm-hmm. than uh, somebody who's on a D and D show should. Sure, but I think for GURPS or for time travel or, or uh, even uh, you know D twenty uh, uh, pass, you know, you know, this is a, an interesting way for time travel without the machi- machine. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, the machine, the machine, you know, you can sort of put guns and stuff. But maybe, you know, this, you know, this drug, it sends you back or maybe makes a copy of you and sends it back in time. And all you got is what is on your clothes or maybe not even that. Maybe it's Terminator. <laughs> you know, you come out of the light, you know, uh, you know, Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger naked or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think there's there's multiple ways to to handle it though. I mean, you can have it like be like the mind control drug, but you can also have it be a time uh, travel drug because of the fact of I don't know uh, historically like uh, or not not even like historically like biologically speaking, there's plants that have multiple uses. Whether we're talking about like uh, something that like oil can be extracted from the seeds, you can smoke the leaf. Or, you know, certain, like, plants and or, stuff. Or, like, or like foxglove, you know. Foxglove could be a poison or it could uh, stabilize your heart. Exactly, exactly. Um, or, or, like, um, certain plants have, you know, different medical uses, different uh, casual uses. And, like, different parts of the plants can be harvested for different things. And different processes could, like, what if, like, if you do something with the leaf and then you do something with the pollen and then you do something with the seed, combine it all together, then you get time travel properties. But if you do different things with different aspects of the plant, you have different things. And, you know, um, maybe uh, the lotus, if it's grown off of the plateau of Lang, has totally different properties if it's just grown in some, um, I don't know. Uh, hydroponic. Uh, I was going to say hydroponic garden in uh, like Mendocino County or not Mendocino County, they'd grow it on a mountain or something like some hydroponic garden in like Las Vegas or uh, say um, brought back, uh, you know, found by like Vietnam vets in your uh, Delta Green campaign in the, I don't know, um, Mekong Delta. I don't know if I just actually said something that was real or if I just made something up I, 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 yeah Mekong delta is a real place okay all right but you know some sort of like apocalypse now uh delta green kind of like run and gun you know charlie don't surf kind of thing uh you know introduce <laughs> introduce like hardcore drug use involving the 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 um the black lotus and just go crazy <laughs> I mean, that's that's a suggestion. Oh, or what if it's a in in D and D? What if it's the the ingredients are the same? Yeah. But it's the magic that's projected into it. Ooh. So you could have a drug that is the different types of magic of magic. So you got if it's you know infused with uh, uh, you know death magic, then it allows you know. Uh, uh, to bring forth zombies, sure. Or uh, but if it's uh, aberrant uh, magic, it like turns your skin into like armor. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And no. it could be maybe you know, uh, maybe there's like a, a monastery or something, or full of wizards that are creating this, and it's going to be the new, it's going to be the new sort of arms race. So you know, the king or the pays you to go and destroy it, or at least get some for us, so that we'll be able to. Uh, be equal to our our enemies. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Uh, idea I had for uh, like 
cyberpunk or Shadowrun or something like that is something that's uh, something like a hyper-processed drug that uh, is made from Black Lotus that dilates time around you so that you're aware of the five seconds before and five seconds after you. Uh, I, I, I think I did this. Kind of like slow-mo in the, the Dread movie. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. But... Um, it was just something that, like, it just kind of dilates time around you th- so that you're aware of, like, five seconds before and five seconds after you at all times. And, uh, well, until the drug wears off. And, I mean, I don't know how much of a party drug that is, but that sounds like a heck of a performance enhancer that you could use as, like, a runner. You could use as a decker. I don't know how that would work with decking, possibly. But, uh, you know, I, I could see it being, like, Street Sam's being like, oh, yeah, I gotta get my hands on some of that Black Lotus, baby. Uh, I don't know what that voice was about. Uh, I do voices when I yeah, so, DM, so... <laughs> so, 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 so in, in the movie Dread, mm-hmm. which was uh, the, the Keith, or, or not Keith Urban, of course, uh, Kevin Urban... Uh, Judge Dread movie. Okay. Uh, the the plot went went around a drug called slow mo, oh. and it did two things. It had it, it basically had this narcotic effect, but it also basically set people into bullet time. Whoa, that's cool. Um, and and there were some great special effects from that. I didn't even um, know that movie existed. That's cool. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's it's actually it's it's way better than the the Stallone. Uh, Judge Dredd movie. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. So now, if, if you're if you're a fan of most fans of Dredd, like you know the Carl Urban take, uh, the person who played Anderson was great. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's not a masterpiece, but it's a good solid movie. Cool. And, and like I said, the plot device is this this drug, uh, and I won't spoil it, but um, it. it at the end, it makes a big difference. It, 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 it affects the end. So I had one, one last idea on how to use uh, Black Lotus drug, the uh, plutonic drug, uh, the drug Lang. I, I think these are all the terms that are, are used for it. Um, what if you used it on like a spike trap, or not a spike trap, but a dart trap? Like you could use that for a modern game. You could use that for a uh, D&D game but something that like shoots out a bunch of darts and then you don't have to worry about, you know, then like your supervillain, your, your necromancer, your uh, whoever doesn't have to worry about the people breaking in because they just got sent back through time a thousand years and maybe they'll, you know, be chewed, be chewed on by hounds of Tindralos or just, you know, uh, be teleported a thousand years back into time into like, whatever was there a thousand years ago you know just that's a great yeah, way to get, or, or, get rid of not your... a, dart, a, a gas yeah oh yeah yeah i was thinking like uh, a dart trap or like uh yeah a gas trap works pretty good too yeah i like that idea yeah send your send your enemies back through time so you never have to deal with them um and just hope that they don't build a civilization around hating you. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess. I, I, I don't know. It's like, oh, that, that, that'd be a great way to d- dispose of people. <laughs> send, put, put enough gas into a, a, you know, like figure out how much gas you need to send people 
Oh, 10,000 years, Ralph? Okay. Uh. <laughs> Ralph, or, or you can set it up, you know, as you're breaking in, you know, like all this old treasure, and then it's an exact copy of their shield. Yeah. Turns out it is their shield. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. All right. Any other ideas for uh, Black Lotus? No, I think I think we've sort of covered it. All right, all right. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. If you have any conventions in your area that you think we'd be interested in, let us know. If you want to contact us, if you have any show ideas, if you want to be interviewed, if you want to, I don't know, say hey to Roy the Rooster, send us some audio. If Yeah, if you think Ralph should maybe go into the pot. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, we're not going to do a should Jason Todd live or die about Ralph around here there, Dave. But <laughs> but we'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. Show notes. Check them out. That's where you're going to find sponsors and guests and T-shirts and stickers and high fives. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you later. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the show. Music is by me, D.B. Spitzer, edited and produced by me, D.B. Spitzer. The interview portions are always edited and produced by David Heath. And, hey, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. So check out pgttcm.com. And if you don't want to check out the Patreon, if you don't want to do that and you want to help out the show, just go to sponsors or buy T-shirts or anything like that. Anything helps. Thank you again.